Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Astronomy Cast, Episodes 662, Looking Ahead at New and Recycled Missions. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy journalist for over 20 years. With me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I, I am doing well. Uh, it is, as we record this, December 5th. And by the time this will go out to our podcast listeners, there will have been an occultation of Mars. Mm-hmm. And I am deeply hoping I am able to see it. And because I am me, I fully expect to be clouded out. But Yeah, I'm going to be clouded out. Yeah. But I'm excited And also for another something. flyby of Artemis going past the moon. That on its is way occur- home to Earth. That is occurring pretty much right now. Right now. Pretty much as, yeah. yeah, exactly. As we're recording, Artemis is making its flyby of, of Earth, and the whole so, thing is, is being broadcast live. It's an exciting week. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. It, it feels like the space news is ramping up and ramping up, but I think it's probably because we've got GWST just injecting a whole new... Um, enormous amount of, of space and astronomy news into the stream. So last week we talked about the missions that we're saying goodbye to this week. We're going to talk about some upcoming missions to say hello to some are brand new. Others are um, recycled. Now has hell frozen over? Is that what's going on here? Are we about to talk about things that are going to happen in the future? So I, I find myself more than willing to talk about missions that are out there moving in our solar system, but have not yet either gotten to the object Mm. they're aiming for or, or have, have sent back science data. And yeah, I'm actually going to be willing to acknowledge some missions that almost launched and will be launching soon. And that everyone is talking about that, May I'll take it. You know what? You don't, you don't need just fight anymore. I'll take it. I'll, I will. <laughs> hey, done. Sold. Let's do it. I, whatever kitchen scraps I can scavenge here <laughs> to share my enthusiasm for the future, I am 100% on board. So uh, pick a mission. What do you want to talk about? Osiris Rex. 
the, a mission we watched launch together. Exactly. This this mission has a sweet spot in my heart, not just because it's a mission I got to work on, but also because it's a mission that that almost flew into, like literally flew itself into an asteroid. And the more we learn about its its sample tag, the the sillier the entire situation is. Because gravity was so low, when they went to calculate the uh, force of friction on the mission as it plunged its sample uh, arm into the asteroid by accident, the friction was essentially zero. And I just love the fact that they like plunged roughly half a meter into the asteroid, discovering it was the consistency of a ball pit with essentially zero friction going in. Huh. So what would that, I mean, what would be something with like zero friction going in? So you're, you're saying like a ball pit, like where they're being held together with almost no gravity. And so as you push the, the collector in, the material just, just shoves away very easily for it to be able to grab its sample. So, so the amount of frictional force an object experiences is a combination of the force between the object and the thing that is causing the friction. So it's the normal force, basically. And the normal force is very, very, very low when a human being's force onto the object from gravity would be the equivalent of a sheet of paper on your hand on Earth. So you have a very low normal force. And then uh, that combination of low normal force and a not very high value of friction anyways just works out to essentially zero as it plunged into that ball pit of rocks that made out that rubble pile asteroid and uh, it's going to bring us its sample of rocks that it was basically shoved full of as it plunged in uh, in September of 2023 and the mission has been approved to go on and I have to always look at how to say this. It is it is becoming Osiris Apex as mm-hmm. it goes off to explore the asteroid Apophis, and it should see Apophis in 2029. Now, Apophis is a very interesting asteroid. This is the one that astronomers had tagged as one of the most potentially hazardous asteroids that we knew of. Why is Apophis such an interesting target for Osiris to do after it delivers its samples? So this is an asteroid that is fairly large, which means that if it hit us, it would be devastating. And it's going to come between us and the geosynchronous satellites in a few years. And that's a little bit too close for comfort. And not only is it coming that close to Earth, but if it had passed through a gravitational sweet spot called uh, the keyhole is, is what it got named. If it had passed through this gravitational sweet spot, it meant that it was going to come back and smack us directly in the farther out future, but still within our lifetimes, assuming we don't get hit by a car or something, within our naturally expected lifetimes. And 
they had run the maths and figured out that if that impact occurred, it would occur in the Pacific Ocean, and thus mm-hmm. we were going to face essentially Lucifer's hammer kind of a future where water was sent cascading, uh, well, up into Cascadia and <laughs> all of the rest of the Rockies and sweeping over Japan, like over literally Japan right. and into right. China. And and that wasn't going to be good for the planet. But all the measurements since then show that in our lifetimes, that's not going to happen, but it could still happen in the much more distant future uh, if if global warming doesn't get us first. <laughs> right, right, right. But having, I mean, when Apophis makes its close flyby of Earth, mm-hmm. as you say, it's going to be coming within geostationary satellites, it should be visible with the unaided eye. Like, you should be able to see this oh, yeah. dot moving across. The, it'll kind of look like a satellite. Like, like, don't don't expect you're going to see this giant tumbling rock. You're going to see something that's going to look like an astro, like a like a satellite moving through the sky. But for very powerful Earth-based telescopes, this is going to be a wonderful opportunity. And so, how does Osiris Apex play a role in this flyby? What, what's it expecting? It's going to be trying to. So, so Apophis is going to fly by us in 2029. The mission is going to encounter Apophis in 2029. And it's going to be able to get those high-resolution images that tell us what kind of a surface we're looking at. Is this something more like Adakawa that has a some rubbly surface, but mostly it looks like it's a solid-ish object? Or are we looking at another rubble pile? And Mm. this radically changes the way we need to think about potential future deflection. If it turns out every near-Earth object we look at is yet another rubble pile, are our ideas for deflecting it by, for instance, putting a rocket on an asteroid and pushing. No, you're just going to push the rocket through the asteroid, as we learned with Osiris Rex. Right. So getting an idea of the density, the solidity, the the uh, moment of inertia, all of these different physical parameters allows us to start to contemplate how do we actually deflect these things in the future. It was interesting, like with the DART mission, how much of a change in the orbit of the asteroid actually happened. And when you sort of think about asteroids like Apophis, could we stop them? Could we stop something at the last minute? And what's going to be the best approach? DART gave us a really good, solid foundation, but being able to now take that knowledge and then compare it against another asteroid and another asteroid and keep doing this. I think the other thing that will be really interesting is when Apophis does make its close flyby, will the tidal forces of getting that close to the Earth, if it is a rubble pile, will it elongate? Yeah. Will it start to oh, start to change its shape? It'd be interesting to see what, what Things happens. Things I hadn't thought of, and now I need to run calculations on just right. to figure out... Well, I think the the Roche limit of the Earth is much, much closer, like a few tens of thousands of kilometers. But 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 actually like G, GPS satellites or the sorry, the um geostationary orbit is what fifty ish thousand? I, I think what it is. 
38,000 miles. I forget that. I forget the actual geostationary orbit, but it's close. Like it's going to be very close yeah. to us. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to the asteroid as it passes. Like, very exciting. And just a great next use for OSIRIS-REx. Now OSIRIS-APEX. Yes. I love it. All right. So we talked about OSIRIS-REx and its future. I think, I think that qualifies as an existing mission that has already yes. done a tremendous amount of science. I think, I think you have, Foiled my hopes to talk about completely upcoming missions. Let's try again. Give me another mission that you are <laughs> excited about that is happening in the future. So we have Lucy has launched. It's on its way. It gets to Jupiter's L4 in 2027. It gets to its L5 in 2033. There's going to be an asteroid we see in 2025. So, so basically we have a... If it's an odd year, awesome stuff happens in the future. <laughs> right. Now, wh- why is Lucy going out to the Trojan regions of Jupiter? We just don't know what these outer objects are like. Are these entirely icy objects? We periodically see centaurs become active like comets become active. Are the Trojans basically the same, where if they went through some sort of a interaction, they could suddenly flare out with activity? Are they rocky? Are they rubble piles? What's going on? We want to know. And so it's going to be able to explore multiple objects and along the way pick out an asteroid in the asteroid belt. And it's just amazing to see with all these different missions, what kinds of chaos the solar system has created. Uh, We just keep finding moons of Jupiter and Saturn that are weirder and weirder. And so this raises the question, are these larger Trojans going to be more like Ganymede or more Mm. like Chirigiri? It's... I want to know if we have more round things or more rubber duckies. And it's, I mean, people don't know this, and I love to bring up this fact that there are as many objects in the Trojan belt as there are objects in the asteroid belt. These are busy places. Yeah. And so you're going to get this, and, and by having all of these objects collected together, you're going to have this opportunity to fly past many different objects and take a really interesting sample of, of all of them. Um, and as you say, you know, in some cases they could just be like main belt asteroids, yeah. but maybe they're like Kuiper belt objects. Maybe they're like captured comets yeah. that got snuffed out and held in Jupiter's gravity. And they've picked this variety of objects. And the part that I find really interesting as well is that as they do more observations of these worlds, they keep discovering more moons of the objects, yes. which then gives them more targets to go yes. after. I think they're up to 12 at this point. And when you find a, uh, an object with a moon, that moon allows you to get a more accurate mass determination and figure out all sorts of other details you wouldn't be able to figure out. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, but Lucy has had a bit of a problem, right, with the solar panels? Yeah, they didn't quite want to lock into place. So they are deployed, and uh, I think it's fair to say that they are concerned but not panicked. 
Yeah, I don't think they're even concerned now. So okay. originally, like one locked into place. Like they, if you look at the solar panels, they're these giant discs. Yeah, and they they unfold almost like a, like an umbrella, but imagine a, fra- a flat umbrella. And one of them unfolded perfectly. The other one unfolded, but didn't get all the way. Mm-hmm. And so then they tried pulling it back, putting it forward again, tried a couple of, of ideas. And in the end, they were able to sort of mess with the tension of the, of the, the cable that pulls it out. And they were able to get to like 97% or something. So very close. And based on that, they feel like it's got, no, it's got enough power to, to reach and, and handle its mission. The big problem with Jupiter is that it's so far away from the sun. Yes. Your solar panels experience one twenty-fifth the amount of, of energy they experience in Earth orbit. And so Jupiter is the limit of where solar-powered spacecraft can really fly to. And so they were worried that it wouldn't have enough power when it was actually at the, out at the Trojan belts. But it looks like it's going to be fine. So at this point, they're, it's not latched, but they're fine with it. And these are people who are able to not panic over things in a way I envy. Would you just be like worried about the, about that unlatched solar panel? I would. I I really, really would. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, this is completely separate, but think about all of the, the work they put in to try and make the Mars Insight Rover. We talked about last week, but just like to make the lander be able to deploy that temperature probe they spent years just, yes. let's try this, let's try that, let's shovel this, let's try that. And I think at this point, they they got to a solution and they're like, it's fine, it's good enough, let's not be perfectionists about this, let's move on. And, and unlike an umbrella, it's, it's not going to have all sorts of external forces trying to make it collapse, so that helps. Yeah, I mean, the only worry was that when it makes course correction maneuvers, that, it, that the inertia would cause it to reel back in a little bit and they, they feel like they've got it locked down so it won't happen. So, okay. uh, but yeah, I, I, hundred percent agree that the, that the Lucy is a, is an exciting mission for us to keep an eye on. Just like the fact that you're going to see it will single-handedly look at as many asteroids as, as all of the missions that have looked at asteroids so far put together. So think and about that. That's just wild. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact number of asteroid missions, but I feel like it can't be more than 12. All right, give us another mission that you are looking forward to. I feel like so far you've you've nicely found ways around my enthusiasm for future missions <laughs> by, by talking about existing missions that we were excited about. Uh, what's next? Uh, so I, I think there's some uh, missions that, even I haven't been able to avoid learning about. So when I picked this episode out to do, uh, I thought Psyche would be on its way by now. (laughs) Psyche is not on its way by now, sadly. It's delayed to the end of 2023. But it hasn't been canceled. It hasn't been canceled. They did think very hard about that. They considered it, but instead they ended up delaying Da Vinci so that they could finish Psyche. And I'm sure there's lots of people on the Da Vinci team going, but, but I was looking forward to that funding. Um, 
So there was a trickle-down problem. Uh, but one of the things I learned doing this is this isn't like one of your standard Northrop Grumman, Ball Aerospace. This is by Maxar Technologies. This is that same company that has been doing all of the amazing Earth imaging satellites. Mm. So if, if you've been following various natural disasters going on in this world or what's going on in Ukraine, Maxar has been the credit on a whole lot of those images. Wow. Um, and typically with these smaller spacecraft, NASA tends to do this kind of thing in-house. So I think about yes. tests. But I mean, actually, there is no typical. I mean... <laughs> NASA sometimes develops the whole thing in-house, like TASS. Sometimes they develop parts, but then they get components from outside contractors. Sometimes they have a contractor build the whole thing. Sometimes they go with commercial entities where they just pay for ride services. Like it's, NASA actually has a very complicated relationship with its suppliers at this point, which I think is healthy. I think it's exciting. I, I would much prefer that you had all of this, these outside ideas that were, that were coming in. So what is the, what is the plan for Psyche? Psyche is supposed to go and look at what is considered to be a metal-rich asteroid and uh, basically find out, okay, so we've looked at all of these rocky, rocky ones. What does this one look like? Mm. And so this is going to be a new chance to see a new kind of object. Wow. I mean, we both got some metal meteorites. Yes, I have one and, over here. And to get a metal meteorite, you need large you know, a large amounts of metal. And here on earth, like that amount of metal is down at the core of the planet. And so to have like just an exposed giant metal meteorite, the thought is that this was like used to be a planetoid that had its outer shell shattered off. What, what are some like interesting things that psyche might find when it gets to asteroid psyche? <laughs> So Mission psyche getting to asteroid psyche. Right. That's not confusing at all. Yeah, no, uh, totally confusing, honestly. I, the, the, the question is, are we going to see evidence of any kind of surface processes? Any evidence of the kinds of differentiation that we occasionally see on some of the other asteroids out there? This is an object that has been knocked around since it first formed and the way that cratering has been able to affect it is going to give us hints at its density, at its structure. And I, for one, am looking forward to seeing if they can figure out just what its cooling rate was and was this from an object that was big enough that it was internally hot? Did it have a chance to cool off because it formed just right there as a chunk of metal, which I don't think we could explain happening anymore. But once upon a time, the theory was some things just formed out of more metals and some things just formed out of more rocks. This is just going to be one more giant set of observations that people trying to explain how our solar system formed are going to have to force their models to fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, 
on the one hand, on the most exciting hand, when I think about all that possible hands, <laughs> there could be metal, metal volcanoes. Yeah. Right. We've yeah. talked about cryovolcanoes and there's regular volcanoes, but metal volcanoes where molten iron and nickel make their way to the surface of the, of the asteroid. Yes. Probably not today, but maybe in no. the past you could see lava flows where the lava is metal. That would be so amazing. It would be so weird. Yeah, yeah. This this is this is one of those things where all we have is conflicting theories from conflicted theorists, and now we're going to have data. And I, for one, am a fan of data. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think this issue with with psyche with the the delays. You know, they, they it looks like they were going to miss their their launch deadline. Right. NASA did a fairly comprehensive analysis of what was going on and it looks like they're low in people yes and they can't fill all it is fixable but it is definitely causing a pipeline problem for them to be able to and so this has downstream effects on other missions that are coming through the pipeline as well so um it's like they're running out of really good engineers to work for them one of the issues we have to always remember is the pay rates that you get paid working on government projects, working mm-hmm. on grant-funded projects is much lower. And we're also hitting the point of there were a gazillion baby boomers who are finally retiring or dying, which is harder to deal with, but also is happening. There's like 12 of us in Gen X were a negligible size generation. The generations behind us, the millennials and then the Zoomers, they're perfectly willing to say, I'm not going to work a job that expects me to work 80 hours and abuses me the entire time. Apparently, somewhere along the line, generational abuse got broken and I am here for this. But the result is you you have a microscopic generation followed by a generation that is unwilling to work for mm. extremely low salary. And we have to make the decision, are we going to actually pay people what they're worth or walk, watch them walk away? And I am proud of the people who are saying, yeah, this is the pay you're going to give me. And if you don't, I leave. I have watched people do that recently and it is awesome. And I cheerlead them. Um, It's a very, uh, I mean, this is, I mean, we're completely rabbit holing, but it is weird. Like my kids are, you know, fresh into the marketplace now. And yet they have just endless choice of jobs, of good jobs that pay well. It's and and our uh, it's a very different, very weird marketplace than what it was when I grew up. When you were like grateful to get a job, right? So right. Anyway, I think we've reached the end of our show. Uh, thank you, Pamela. We'll see you next week. See you next week. And uh, I have to say thank you to all of you out there who allow us to pay our staff fair wages, so that uh, I only have Speaking to watch other people. Uh, walk away from jobs. We, we 
pay our people what they're worth as best we can within the nonprofit sector. Anyways, thank you to David Everson, Michael uh, Prachada, Burry Gowan, Jordan Young, Kevin Lyle, Jeanette Wink, Stephen Veit, Nano Flips, uh, Bora Andre Livsvall, J.F. Rojoti, Andrew Palestra, Venkatrash Chari, David Trog, the giant nothing, Aurora Leiper, David, Harold uh, Schweitzer, Will Hamilton, Buzz Parsec, uh, Kakao Sarif, Lara Kettleson, Robert Plasma, Jake Mudge, or Jack Mudge, uh, Les Howard, Joe Holstein, Gordon Dewis, Frank Tippin, Alexis, Adam, Anise, Bram, Richard Drum, William Backer, Wanderer M101, Zero Chill, Felix Goot, Astro Sets, uh, William Andrews, Gold, Roland Vormerdam, Jeff Collins, Simon Parton, Jeremy Kirwin, Stuart Mills, Rob Cuff, Kellyanne and David Parker, Harold Bardenhagen, and Marco Ayarasi. Thank you all so very much. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Astronomy Cast is a joint product of Universe Today and the Planetary Science Institute. Astronomy Cast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. So love it, share it, and remix it. But please credit it to our hosts, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can get more information on today's show topic on our website, astronomycast.com. This episode was brought to you thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. If you want to help keep this show going, please consider joining our community at patreon.com slash astronomycast. Not only do you help us pay our producers a fair wage, you will also get special access to content right in your inbox and invites to online events. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined our Patreon community already. Anyways, keep looking up. This has been Astronomy Cast. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.